0: This Cup of Earl Grey is brought to you by Audible.com, offering more than 150,000 titles for iPhone, iPad and iPod, Android, Kindle, Windows Phone, plus Mac or PC. To get a free audiobook of your choice, visit audibletrial.com slash FM. Plus, if you'd like to support our programming personally, visit trek.fm donate to get our alien badges and art prints featuring original illustrations by Toba Ushi.
1: This is Houston Huddleston from New Starship, and I'm restoring the Enterprise D-Bridge. And you're listening to Trek FM.
2: Tl Gray Hot.
0: It's time for another serving of Earl Grey our dedicated TNG show. I'm Philip Gilfus, sitting in the center chair this week. I'm joined by my co-host Daniel Prue, who is currently serving drinks in Ten Forward and dispensing bits of wisdom and advice to crew members. But what's going on, Daniel?
1: Um not a whole lot. Um I, I'm I'm just a listener, so I'm just down here, you know, listening to everything that's going on, making sure that everything's good. If somebody's having a bad day, I'm going to talk to them and make them feel better. Uh, but you know, it's a, it's pretty standard down here.
0: Oh, I'm sorry, I couldn't hear you, Daniel. Your your hat was making a whole lot of noise there.
1: Oh, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry about that. Let me change this hat out for another equally ridiculous hat.
0: Okay, well that makes sense. Um I am also joined by my co-host Darren Moser who is currently holding a debate about the prime directive in his quarters. How goes the, the argument first Darren? first
2: duty is to the truth, be it historical truth, memorial truth, categorical truth. Oh, oh, hey hey Philip. I I didn't I didn't see you. You didn't use the the little the, the door chime. I did I didn't I, I didn't see you come in. Uh oh, I'm do- I'm doing good. Uh it's just me in the mirror right now. But uh I, I feel really confident that um once the symposium gets here that uh from you know cygnus four that i'll be i'll be I'll be ready
0: Well, when it's time to find the enemy, all you have to do is look at the man in the mirror <laughs> oh yeah.
1: <laughs> so are you suggesting just out of curiosity that? Picard literally practices these speeches in the mirror, like, hoping that one day he'll find, like, a reason to use them or an excuse. Let's just
2: ask Livingston, because I'm sure he's witnessed many a practice.
1: (laughs) You know he's
0: asking Livingston to read his speeches for him. (laughs) Just holding the pad up to the
2: fishbowl.
1: What do you think, Livingston? (laughs) Bloop, bloop, bloop.
0: (laughs) Picard
2: blog. It's (sighs) called Four Lights. (laughs) I only see.
0: (laughs) Well, anyway, I want to welcome our listeners. Um, As you probably cannot tell from our uh, introductory uh, chatter um, here at Earl Grey, you know, we often talk about the technical aspects of the next generation, you know, our critique of episodes, stories about the production of the series and and which characters we like. Uh, But to me, uh, TNG is more than any of those individual elements. I mean, I never lose sight that that the next generation and, and Star Trek as a whole is is a futuristic storytelling of the future of humanity and so this episode of earl gray we 're going to focus on that vision or or that philosophy that depiction of utopia wh- whatever it is you want to call it and so i 'm just kind of going to go start with some opening thoughts from from the Three hosts here to include me, um, and, so, and I'm going to start off briefly about you know why it's important to me uh, about this kind of topic. Because I mean, I think we've talked about in the past about you know why do we like TNG and Star Trek and what draws us. And to me, that vision and that philosophy, whatever word we want to use, is what draws me to Star Trek, particularly Star Trek: The Next Generation. And so to me, that's why I watch. That's what gets me every show. You know, what's the lesson? What's the what's the morality? What's the the, the moral conflict or, or what are we being shown about our possibilities? Um, and and I think that's important to, of course, you know, as a whole to society and, and the world and all that stuff. You know, we, we, we know all about the stories of the original series and the issues it breached in the 60s and the next generation. You know, I think, personally, it brings it to a different level, but we'll talk about it. And so that's kind of why this is so important to me. But, you know, maybe that's just me. So uh, uh, Daniel, we'll start with you. You know, wh- what do you think about this whole issue? Am I just going crazy here? <laughs> or, or do you think this is uh, something that's important to you about the next generation?
1: No, I mean, I agree wholeheartedly. Um, the reason that I I I'm drawn to TNG, the reason that I think it's the best show is because I think it's, in a lot of ways, it's the peak of of the Star Trek vision of the future. Um, you know, we get the three the three seasons of the original series and and it does a lot of really impressive, really amazing things. For, you know, for television in the '60s, but it, it didn't get to grow the same way that TNG did. And uh, you know, the the thing I love the most about the I guess you, if you want to call it the philosophy of TNG or, or Star Trek in general is is the optimism. Is I mean that's what that's that's definitely what draws me to it. So I mean, and I'm not going to you know blow anyone's socks off by saying things people haven't heard before, but it, it, to me that like that's the most impressive thing. You, we're all big sci-fi fans, and you can you can count the number of of positive futuristic sci-fi. You know, on one hand, generally speaking, you know what I mean? Like it's it's usually dystopian. Uh, even if it's not dystopian, it's pr- it's pretty uh, – this is just humans as they are in the future. Very rarely do we get science fiction where humanity has overcome its problems, where it's it's become better. And Star Trek does that. And, and that's, I think, the base goal of Star Trek. And I think TNG does it best. All mm-hmm.
2: right.
0: Good, good. What about you, Darren? Are you uh, on board on this happy train, or do you have any other thoughts?
2: No, I I definitely concur. I I feel one of the aspects of TNG in the, you know, philosophy department is almost its timelessness. Uh, Not that every aspect or every topic they approached, you know, has the same weight, but there are definitely many where even today it almost has a, mo- a more resonance than it did, you know, in the in the late 80s when it was written. Uh, I think of the speech Captain Picard gave in The Drumhead, where he's speaking about, you know, the, the first link of the chain being forged, the first speech censored, the first thought forbidden, the first freedom denied, changed us all irrevocably the first time any man's freedom is trodden on, we're all damaged. And just those words so wonderfully written and so eloquently delivered by Patrick Stewart, you know, they like, they resonate with many of the issues we're dealing with today in, you know, the the latter half of the 20th century, uh, <laughs> where many, where many Star Trek people like to time travel too. But, uh I I, that's what I really enjoy most about that aspect of of Star Trek especially in TNG is almost the timeless factor of uh the morality plays and the philosophy
0: and and also since we're talking about the vision and philosophy Darren I do want to correct you that it is of course Sir Patrick Stewart oh yes sir (laughs) sir go to knighthood school to be called Mr. Patrick Stewart or professor (laughs) something he has lots
2: of titles (laughs)
0: <laughs> no but, but but I I agree, you know, Darren, what you said and what Daniel said. Obviously, and again, this is sort of preaching to the choir anyone who is familiar with Star Trek, which hopefully you are listening to this show, um, about the ability for Star Trek to take modern issues, it doesn't matter whether it was the 60s or the 80s or the 90s or the 2000s and kind of create this futuristic debate like you talked about in the drumhead, but make it relevant. I mean, here we are in 2013 and some would say the just speech you just quoted from Drumhead may be very, you know, applicable to today. Um, but for our first kind of subtopic here, what I wanted to talk about with y'all was the quote-unquote Roddenberry vision. And, you know, when I say that phrase, Daniel may think of something and Darren may think of something and our listeners may think of something. So I'm going to attempt to to give it a definition and you can agree or disagree and we can talk about it. So to me, when I think Roddenberry vision, you know, Gene Roddenberry, of course, created Star Trek in the original series in the 60s, but I don't define it as one man. Like, I don't think like, okay, this is what just Gene thought, and then that's it. I mean, to me, it's it's something a little bit bigger than that. You know, all the various people behind Star Trek, whether it's TOS or TNG and beyond... And I don't have the encyclopedia knowledge, you know, Bob Justman and and even Rick Berman when he continued on with, with Roddenberry as the exec producer of TNG and beyond, you know, whoever. But but at least I'm going to attempt a definition. Like you can agree or disagree. But basically, it's that in the future, humanity will have evolved over the need for conflict among ourselves, the need for money and possessions, and will unite to um, abolish disease. And poverty, and to seek out exploration to the final frontier, and we'll seek to better ourselves. And I mean, to me, kind of the best um, definition, I'm kind of stealing this, paraphrasing it, is Captain Pica- or excuse me, um, Commander Riker, what he says during First Contact, Star Trek First Contact, and, and Deanna Troy and Geordi, when they're explaining to Zephyr Cochran about, you know, this is what's going to happen. And to me, that's kind of, to me, the Roddenberry vision um and then i know you know some people hold that up as as the ideal and like i don't you know i don't know gene i can't say oh this is what gene said and you know but it's something that i certainly am a fan of and believe but i know other fans are like you know what that's that's great and that's good but i don't think that's 100 percent what makes star trek and i think there's other ways to do it you know i think there's there's Maybe a, a somewhat debate like TNG versus DS9 and Roddenberry vision, no Roddenberry vision, and conflict. What's all I that all mean? But anyway, let's just talk about it. So, Daniel, what do you think about this Roddenberry vision? You know, do you agree with it? Is it you know vital to Star Trek, or is there room for exceptions? Or, or what do you think about this?
1: Uh, as as your definition that you stated there, like kind of as like a like a mission statement for Star Trek, I totally agree with, this. and I think and. Um, you know, I guess if we were to bring up Deep Space Nine, a lot of people would say that that quote unquote deviates from the Roddenberry vision the most. Um, but I still think that even Deep Space Nine follows the definition that you just gave. I do. Um, ultimately, I think that's th- that show, along with every other Star Trek show, does show a future in which. Humanity has overcome and continues to overcome, and still is working towards overcoming any issues that that we encounter. Um, you know, you, you, this isn't gonna, this isn't obviously not the Roddenberry podcast, but this is the Roddenberry part of the podcast. Where so I, I and I've made no secret about it. I don't think he, he clearly is a um a better world builder than than like scriptwriter or or you know what I'm saying like uh, he he his vision quote unquote vision i don't know know if that's what it was but his ideas or whatever we think of as as roddenberry um was brilliant clearly i mean we wouldn't be talking about a 48 year old television show right now if it wasn't um you know whether or not he was very good at the day-to-day stuff may or may not be true or, or whatever but i i appreciate that that influence that it especially on TNG specifically that it had and I think um any future star trek and I think this is a big problem that people have with the the Abrams stuff is that it doesn't reflect that or, or they feel like it doesn't reflect that kind of um the mantra that that you just laid out for us from Roddenberry it doesn't they don't feel like it's it's just a they think maybe a, a lot of criticism is that it's just a generic sci-fi thing and that it's it doesn't differentiate it doesn't show optimism in the same way that the 60s series did or you know TNG did or whatever but uh, I do think that going forward yeah I mean it, it's tough to do but if you do it right I think that's the best way to do it for sure and and
0: again, I, I, this is just my point of view because I don't want to say like, oh, this is the point of view. This is what fans think. I don't know. This is what this is what I think. And you can take it or leave it. But but I always feel like the the rule, whether it's written or unwritten, because you know, Gene. Ultimately, at least the first two seasons, at least, you know, edited everything. And, you know, not just because we talked with them last week, but, you know, Standard Orbit has done some um, good episodes. If listeners want to listen to Standard Orbit after you've listened to Earl Grey, they've talked about, you know, these are the Voyages book about, you know, what was going on behind the scenes with season one. But um, to me, like the sort of credo was, look, Starfleet officers aren't going to argue among themselves because, that's you know, the conflict isn't there anymore. All conflict comes from outside. It comes from alien encounters. Like, that's TOS. You know, we won't don't want to see... Which we did. But I'm just giving... You know, we don't want to see bigotry among Starfleet. That we did. We saw it with the um, balance of terror. Because we had the guy who was prejudiced against Spock. Because he looked like a Ronald. Um, but generally speaking, you know, they're not doing bad things. Starfleet people aren't. And... You know, take take this to TNG, and that's kind of kind of the same, right? You, same thing. All conflict comes from the outside, from aliens. And again, generally speaking, I'm sure we can think of exceptions. But I think and think DS9. You know, and and Daniel and I have had these arguments in the arboretum um, about you know what's going on there. But but I but I agree with you, Daniel, that to me DS9 does have more conflict quote-unquote i mean i don't i wouldn't say you know but anyway at least a perception and or reality of more conflict but it does come from aliens you know it's just not necessarily you know cisco arguing with bashir i mean they do argue but you know what i'm talking about they're not like bad people um but you do have other alien species coming in bringing perhaps different points of view and that's the conflict but it's not you know humans necessarily conflict among themselves until you get to episodes like and you're gonna be better at episode titles than me the Defensive AR, oh AR, uh, the whatever. siege of
2: AR like 15, 327 five, or three two seven or something. Yeah. <laughs> That's <weird>. right,
0: <laughs> right. And then, you know this isn't the orb. We're not going to talk DS nine, but they have know, names. An episode up. where, yeah, well, <laughs> I suppose. Um, yeah, I just see numbers. with I'm kidding. Um, but so I mean that that would be a, a different episode. But 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 Darren, what do you think about all this? The, the Roddenberry vision. What, what's going on here? Yeah, I
2: agree. I agree with you that the Roddenberry philosophy is become more than just one man it is a combination of everyone who has had an impact on tng and star trek and added their their piece to it but i think of two episodes where um that vision is kind of spelled out specifically uh first is the neutral zone where you have the frozen you know uh Humans from the past, and they're like, they don't quite get the fact that there's no money, or like the one character wants to see his stock portfolio because he's sure it's going to be. I want to talk to my really lawyer. High. It's like, oh yeah, we've gotten rid of lawyers by now. Don't worry. No, but you know, that is a great one where they're, you know, they are really us. And it's like, how would we react if all of a sudden we're plunged into this world where it's not just. It's a great future, and and everything's push button, and and we have nothing to, for want. But h- how do you know what to do? How do you know what to do on a daily basis in a world of that? We, it would take a couple hundred years for us to to change to that. Um, and another great episode, uh, a classic, would be uh, Time Zero Two, where our favorite literary uh, <laughs> author is is transported back uh, to the future and realizes that it's worth a couple of cigars over the betterment of humanity <laughs>
0: No, and, and and I know Daniel's laughing about the episode, uh, but I, I agree with you, Darren, because that's actually a good. And I don't know off the top of my head. I'll be I'm in my rewatch here, so I'm sure I'll hit it here eventually. But I mean, it's true because you know this whole like you're telling I I am going to try to do this. <laughs> you're telling me that that there's no more poverty and disease, and you're going to tell me you just don't do that anymore. <laughs> and Deanna's like, Yeah, <laughs> oh. <laughs> You know, and his cigar wilts yeah. in his hand. No, I don't. You know, um, but but I mean, I you know, I think, regardless I think of one time, of his is,
2: You know, I come from a time when men, you know, fortunes are gained and lost built upon the backs of other men, and you're telling me it's not that like that anymore. And and she's just like, nope. And yeah, it's that it's the greatest reaction, <laughs> you know, uh, of of him to be like, oh well, I I never really felt. That could be a possibility.
0: And then Daniel's trying to log off because he's like, I am not part of any episode where Time's Arrow is the point of view uh, for I mean, Coming up next week,
2: we review Time's Arrow, part one and two, at a double-part, super-long no.
1: episode. On why
0: it's the best episode in TNG and encompasses all the values. Oh,
1: boy. But that's the thing, I mean... You 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 guys are right. I mean, of course. I, I'll never say that there's nothing good about any TNG episode. Of course, there's there's <laughs> always something that you can enjoy, or, or you know, justice. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's true. Um, but so yeah, I mean, it is it is good philosophy, and and it's just you know why? I, I guess I'm I'm just sitting here thinking, and it's like, what do you what do what do we compare Star Trek to? I mean. It's not you can't say like Star Trek is like Star Wars. You can't say Star Trek is like like there isn't it, 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 it's not like Doctor Who. It exists in like a a universe in a, in a category by itself. And I think that is the strength of what we would call the quote unquote uh, Roddenberry vision.
2: Yeah, I agree. I think it's the fact that one, it's not dystopian. I mean, a lot of sci fi nowadays is thrives on dystopian view, which is a great way to take sci-fi but it's you know you can kind of only take so much of that before you just want to watch something happy building explodes
0: (laughs) explosion happens but on
2: top of that i think that one of the things Mm -hmm. i've always enjoyed most about star trek actually probably the most the the quality most that resonates with me is the fact that it's our future is how it's set is it's this is not a galaxy far, far away. This is not an alternate dimension. This isn't an alien planet. This is Earth, where we went through several world wars, where we have nations that rose and fell, where we had issues of poverty and struggle and strife, and we overcame it. And while, if that to be an actuality is another story, but to to have that as a, a vision and something to aspire to. Because many of the things that are most worth inspiring towards aren't necessarily things you're going to reach, but the act of moving towards them is in themselves, you know, worthy of the act.
0: And, you know, we're all very enthusiastic and optimistic about it but let's let's sort of acknowledge the critiques out there cuz like i mean like i like tng and i love it and i'm repeating myself probably you know for the morality plays and like to me it's it's especially watching this as a 10 year old you know mm. hey this is how you're supposed to live your life and you know i was like yes that's awesome that's i mean it's very inspirational and, and aspirational um and so you know maybe if you're a 20 30 40 50 60 year old you're like i don't really need a role model i'm i'm good and i'm just watching for entertainment but my question is this, look, the, the 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 critique as we all know of the next generation is like um, you know, everyone's perfect, you know, all this stuff, there's no conflict. And and so let me throw this out. Do you think the Roddenberry vision, again, however i define it or however you think it is, do you think it is a straight jacket to the next generation? Or as i like to think, or do you think like that's the whole purpose of the show and i mean if you don't like it then you know you probably don't like next generation. I can't force you to like it.
2: Um. I think it's not a straight jacket and i don't think that the characters themselves are perfect. I feel like it's more that the like the like we say the driving force has changed. Like the core value of the society has changed. Still they're human. Still they make mistakes. Still they value the Federation and, you know, will eventually place that above other races in a time of war. You know, those are all still very human things. And if TNG loves to delve into what it is to be human. And I think that in itself does cause lots of conflict. It's just the, the small interpersonal i think that was really what was capped uh in in Roddenberry's direct oversight but but the overall driving force i think uh wasn't capped i i believe i think it was more just sub- a substitution of what drives us today
1: and and i will say that that i don't think it's the philosophy that straight jacketed tng if that's what you want to call it if if which you're, you're, that's what you're saying that people are criticizing it for. And I, I do agree. I hear that quite a bit. And I don't think it's the philosophy uh, that did that. I think it was um, whoever decided that that should be a rule. I you, I guess it was Gene, but, but, but even after he died, we still got it for the rest of this, of the series. Like I, I, I'm, that's what, I guess that's where it ends for me. Like where, where the vision ends and his control begins is when he says you can't have any conflict any inter-crew conflict which makes zero sense to me and and I'm I would have been okay with more of that in TNG so if if there was it if if it did straight jacket TNG I would say that it's not the philosophy that does it it was the writers and the the showrunners that decided okay because Gene felt this way or because whoever decided that this is the way we should go, then we should go that way. That's what Straight Jacket t- But I don't think that's a I don't think that's inherent in the philosophy of Star Trek.
0: Yeah, I mean, and that's, you know, if anyone who knows Rick Berman is listening, we would love to have him. Yeah. Um, because I, but, cause I think, and, and I don't know, because I don't, I don't do production and backstories and all that stuff. I just, T and in Star Trek, I just love the story and the world that it, it inhabits. So I can't, I'm not an expert on what went on by the scenes. But from what little I know, you know, when Rick took over, he was, even though he came from sort of the, um, the head shed, you know, the, 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 the suits and all that. But when he came in and kind of took over for Gene, you know, he was very um, much a guardian of what Gene stood for in that. And again, I'm not an expert, but you know, he certainly allowed people to, to push some things, you know, but he st- kind of was standing at the gate. Like, you know, I've been given this property. I'm going to keep a hold of it. I'm going to protect what I think it stood for. And again, I may be kind of talking out my, whatever No, I think you're I, right. That's what I'm because here. you
2: look at the show. I mean, there's been many other shows where something like that happens or a creator leaves. I mean, that's a huge shift in a show run. And for all intents and purposes, Star Trek didn't completely change after Gene's death, which I think is a tribute to Rick Berman,
0: yeah and', and cause, cause I think that's something and i don't I don't know what the arguments are in Trectum and the debates and all that stuff, but but I feel like and like I don't get why. Um, th- like the perception is and maybe I'm wrong that like you know Rick is, is like oh, I don't want to go to Trek conventions because they all hate me I mean I know he's, he's kind of emerged in the past year or two you know he's on Twitter and actually got tweeted at once but I'm like I don't know why anyone hates Rick Farman I mean I think it's I, you can disagree I mean obviously we all have opinions about Trekdom um, about you know Enterprise and DS9 and Voyager and TNG and you know what's good what's bad blah 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 but I'm like you know I can't I, I love Star Trek I love everything that happened I can critique things but as far as him I guess the argument against him is that he he was, you know, holding up Gene and he didn't allow people to do what they wanted to do. I'm like, I mean, I'm sure there are more things we could have done to make Next Generation better and DS9 better, etc. etc. But, I mean, as far as keeping the philosophy, I'm like, I don't have a problem with that. Yeah,
1: I mean, I, I see both sides of the argument because, you know, you, you get into this debate with, with Star Trek fans and it is a, a you know, a lot of people... You know, like to blame everything wrong that ha- you know that happened with the Star Trek with Rick Berman, you know, from Gene's death on, and it's and it, But it's hard to argue the fact that he over.
0: They don't blame him for his death, do they? That's going too
1: far. <laughs> but it's. I mean, it, you. It's hard to argue completely from that side because he oversaw the the entire peak of Star Trek. Like he, you know, I mean, of course he saw. He, he was still running it when it when it when it kind of ran into the ground, unfortunately, which is probably where the frustration comes from. But to be fair, he was there well before that, overseeing it when it was at the highest it's ever been in the mid '90s. So uh, I do I actually do I'm one of those people that thinks yeah Rick probably kind of uh, he kind of looked at Gene's rules or whatever as as you know religiosity or whatever and and held them up to a ridiculous standard and 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 kind of didn't really see the bigger picture maybe but i i can't get mad at the guy i mean everything i love about star trek not everything but most of everything that i love about star trek was under him i mean how do you you know what did he
0: have to do with Kira? That's all Daniel wants to know. <laughs> just tweet at him right now. If Rip, that was do to do with Kira, if not,
1: if that was it. his decision, I take everything <laughs> I just said completely back.
0: <laughs> well, you know, we're we're talking about kind of comparing with other series, and of course for the TNG show. But but as we talk about the philosophy and vision of the Next Generation and the morality, and in whatever word you want to use. Maybe it's easier, to, instead of trying to go from 2013 to the 24th century, and, you know, obviously it's a made-up future, maybe it's easier if we kind of go for some smaller comparisons. And what if we, we talk about in this next topic about the, the, the jump from the original series to the next generation in regards to that vision and to that values, whether you want to look at it as the values of Earthmen and Terrans or the values of Federation or the values of Starfleet. Um, and again, this isn't like oh, you know, which one is better, TOS or TNG. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about like you know, just like we can look at the 1960s in America and see the difference between 2013 America. You know, is there, was there a difference in in what values or morality or what was important to those Starfleet and Federation people in the original series versus what our intrepid heroes? And the next generation, the twenty fourth century, were I mean, you know, the 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 cartoon stereotype was like, oh, in TOS they just fired phasers and knocked over religions and the Turks <laughs> and had the women, and that was it. And TNG they just talk them to death all day, you know. But I'm kind of open it up to so like, Daniel, do you think that there was kind of a? Do you, can you look at the 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 world and see like, ah, oh, I, can, I can see where some people grew over a few generations, some different minds were opened, or or is it kind of like, ah, oh, they're pretty much the same.
1: No, I don't. I don't think they're the same at all. Um, I, uh, you know, I'll be honest. I'm I'm amazed that And TOS, you know, please forgive me, fans. I know, I know, some people will probably be upset. Um, TOS is by by no means my favorite show. Um,
0: I appreciate it. One week after standard
1: orbit, <laughs> I was like, <laughs> no, I'm I, done with them. I, I don't. <laughs> you know, I really do, I like it, and I appreciate it for what it is. and and and, and I say that in. Basically previewing before I get to the point where I'm going to say that I watch TOS episodes sometimes and I am blown away. I'm like, wow, this is 60s television. This is not something you see often. This is very forward thinking, very impressive, very, uh, you know, very smart people. Clearly, we're in charge of the show and this is not the standard of the time as, as as much as I understand it, because clearly I wasn't anywhere around in the 1960s. So, and I think that's the biggest disconnect for me is that I'm not part of that culture. I don't exist in that world. I don't, I can't say whether or not it's an accurate reflection or, um, but I was born literally a year before, a few months before TNG came out. So, and so this speaks much more to me personally uh, but I, I, I can say that I I can I I can appreciate that quote unquote vision much more in TNG. It makes more sense to me. It seems much more real world to me, much less abstract and and silly sometimes. Well, but although sometimes it is. But I I and I think it is a I think there was like a maturation of ideas between the the 60s and the 80s when TNG came out. Like I think maybe they thought some things through. They got some different writers um you know i think uh the 60s is kind of like broad maybe a little more broad thinking and uh these are the big issues and you know and then tng kind of narrows things down a little bit this is a direct allegory to you know whatever and so maybe that's why it is but i i'm it's probably more the fact that i'm i was born in the 80s so the The show from the 80s would make more sense to me, I guess.
0: I mean, and let's just try and I guess I'll just throw some concrete examples or at least attempt to, um, you know, and, and it's you can argue whether it's just values and, and morality or just, you know, new ways of thinking, which happens every generation, um, especially, you know, three or four generations later, you know, 78 years later um, or longer. Um, you know, you have the counselor on board by the 24th century, you know, counselors, at least that we know of, you know, we, we don't know in world when counselors began in Starfleet. Um, and you have, uh, sort of that whole philosophy of, you know, in the 24th century, we now have a Klingon on the bridge. We have a former enemy among us now as a friend. Um, in, in the 23rd century, I mean, everyone was pretty much friendly for the most part. Um, in, in, in Starfleet, I mean, if you want to get into Enterprise, you could argue Andorians and all that stuff. But but at least at least from what we knew, from TOS to TNG, there was that. And there was, sort of course, sort of—and you can argue maybe it was technology. But, you know, Enterprise, the NCC 1701, was sort of like that sardine warship, whereas the Enterprise D was more of an, uh, a ship of exploration, which the 1701 original was as well. But but the D was definitely more, you know, we're interested in science and exploration and ambassadors and diplomats and, and arguably maybe because one's bigger than the other. It maybe just has that better feel. But there's sort of that subtle thing of, you know, we're not... We're more comfortable in the twenty fourth century, which we've maybe talked about. You know, we've explored more, we've made peace more. We want to kind of cement what we have, whereas in in, uh, in the original series, it's more like everything's new and exploring, and we're kind of still flying by the seat of our pants. You know, sometimes we follow the prime directive, sometimes we don't. Which again, sometimes we don't follow it in the twenty fourth century either. Yeah. But like, Darren, what do, what do you think of all this? Well, Darren? I
2: think a, a big aspect is the the captain is really who they're setting the tone for the particular series. And I think to look at the, the way, the way philosophy is, is put into practice is really a reflection of Kirk or Picard or Cisco or Janeway. Uh, I mean, look at all the moral decisions that Janeway made that we could think of if Picard was in those in the chair you know, probably would have made a very different decision and, or Kirk, you know, like he was just saying, you know, kind of seat of the pants, cowboy diplomacy, shoot first. And, you know, but with a fierce loyalty to his crew, I mean, Picard, uh, admired him and loved, you know, helping him chop wood. But, uh, I think he would have <laughs> made many different command decisions uh, if he had been on the no bloody ABC or D. So I, I think that's really what it kind of boils down to is, yes, it's different. I mean, the philosophy is is always shifting, but it, as the series go, it, I think it really depends on the captain.
1: You know, having this discussion, like the 23rd versus the 24th century, you know, uh, Kirk versus Picard, these, I, I do think that these ultimately, and if you want to put it all on Gene, that's okay, because that would make sense too, but th- this is ultimately, I think what we're seeing is the difference of 20 years. We're seeing the 60s philosophy versus the 80s philosophy like we're seeing the you know in the midst like right in the middle of the cold war kind of you know all of these kinds of political things going on versus a much more stable world in the 80s where it's all about comfort and let's have a counselor on the bridge and let's make everyone feel good like
2: or versus enterprise which steps uh, another gap forward you know, yeah, it, sort of
0: the for the
1: post 9-11. Exactly. And I and I do think that all of these, and Philip has mentioned on the show before that, uh, that star, each Star Trek, successive Star Trek series is kind of a response to the previous one. So, you know, we we do, you know, TOS and then TNG and then TNG and then Deep Space Nine, very, very different. And then Voyager to Deep Space Nine, we kind of go back. And then it's it's just like, it's each series is definitely very like very indicative of the very 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 uh, environment that it was created in
0: and and sort of the um the feeling of as you said a lot like i said lot, we're talking about here about philosophy and morals and again which have to be more than just um mission statements or conceits or words on paper they have to be actions and 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 as you as you said daniel you know uh, you look at the people. Yeah. What do the people actually do? You know, cause who cares what's on paper? Like, I think the, the old thing is like, you know, the Soviet union had a bill of rights and a constitution, but nobody followed it. Um, and you know, so the same thing here, what are we actually doing here in Starfleet? And so you have captain Kirk and captain Picard and how are they actually living, Starfleet, and and again, I think you have to judge each. And again, I, I I'm being very in world, which may be weird to some people. I think you have to judge each man by his time. You know, what was Captain Kirk dealing with the 23rd century, which is different from what Captain Picard was dealing in the 24th century. You know, you can't like it's like comparing like General Patton with like General Schwarzkopf. I'm like, yeah, that's two different wars. You can't really compare. Um, but but yeah, I think it is interesting. I think the best comment would be from I know we're like going from every series in this podcast <laughs> would be from Captain Janeway um in the uh, in the excelsior episode where, where she's like you know you know kirk sulu flashback. you know mccoy yeah flash in flashback voyager i don't know voyager photon torpedo um <laughs> where she's like you know and i'm paraphrasing like you know kirk was a little too quick with the phaser a little slower with the prime directive you know the whole bunch of them would have be drummed out of starfleet in the 24th century but you know i'd give anything to go back and do all that stuff, you know, you know, the universe was so much bigger back then and, and all that stuff.
2: This from the woman that's on the other side of the galaxy. <laughs> <laughs>
0: well, she, yeah, I mean, and I know one argument or at least one, one thing. And I, and I know Daniel's talked about this, especially in the, I've already forgotten the episode title already. The siege of AR right, <laughs> yeah, five, whatever. the siege.
1: We'll just call it the siege. Yeah. How's that? Sound? Exactly. <laughs> and again,
0: you
2: do know. different numbers.
0: <laughs> and, and, <every> again? again <laughs> We want to keep this TNG based, and so, but like, some in that ep, in that DS9 episode, it, it, the argument is like, well, if you take away everything, what do you really like Starfleet? And of course, like, in, you look at the original series where they were kind of more alone—you know, the Enterprise in the middle of nowhere. You know, they're the only ship in the quadrant. Um, you know, they they have to do what they have to do. Whereas TNG, you know, we get to talk to Starfleet. We got the Hood. You know, a sector behind us at all times. You know, all that stuff. You know, we got like a thousand people on the ship. Um, you know, where do you think there were moments in in TNG where comfort was sort of stripped away, um, and we were able to see, like, you know, is it just because we're comfortable that we still can hold to these values, or do you think there's moments where, yep, yeah, we still did it, even though we may not have had all that comfort of 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 that we usually have in TNG? Uh, I,
1: yeah, wow, that's that's a great question. Uh, a <laughs> best of both worlds is the, the thing that pops off in my head. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. when where we're, we're we see our crew at probably the lowest i think that we get to see them and he is a borg <laughs> and i you know what a wonderful episode overall obviously but um w- you know we we do see their response in the face of adversity and uh i think all of the crew responds wonderfully like uh you know i mean and this isn't. I, and I don't. I really don't want to turn this into a TNG versus Deep Space Nine thing. But it's like, if 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 Cisco faced the best of both worlds, he would have he would have killed Picard. I think instantly. Like, he, not he, he not, did, not, Daniel. Not, <laughs> he was there at Wolf <laughs> right, right. 35. But you know what I'm saying? Like, <laughs> like, and that's like the, that's the big contention right between T- Deep Space Nine fans and TNG fans is like, is like something like in the pale moonlight where. Cisco does what it what he needs to get it done, and I love Cisco and I love Deep Space Mind, so I'm not trying to say which is better, but I, I do want to say that that there is a difference. And
0: now, Daniel, I don't know if you've heard the end of our podcast, but Riker actually tries to kill Picard at the end of every. No, 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 no,
1: no, you're, <laughs> no, 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 if he had, if they'd, they would never have attempted a rescue mission, is my point, I suppose. Um, but, but our TNG people who we are saying are, are much more optimistic, they're still going to go out on that limb, they're still going to try to do what it takes. They're, you know what I'm saying? Like, it's, it is a bit more, uh, positive, I think. And, and that is maybe a little bit of it, but again, it's, this is not a TNG versus Deep Space Nine thing, it's just a, a Star Trek thing. And it's like, TNG does get that right, I think like I said, best of both worlds, the lowest we see our characters. And I think they all, they don't lose themselves. They don't lose that core philosophy. They all try to maintain themselves above the situation.
2: I think a great episode where, you know, they're put in a different, in a much different situation. It's not so much in a, in the area of attack is chain of command. And their entire family is basically almost kind of uprooted. I mean, Picard's keeping secrets about that portion of the mission. You have a new commanding officer that comes in that just kind of shakes everything up. And that's where, I mean, look at Riker. I mean, Riker is kind of, he's very much, he's a reed. He's bent very, very strongly in that, you know, he really doesn't seem to like Jellico, but he does his job. And we we've seen him only in the Picard days, where Picard just thinks he's the greatest officer since sliced bread, you know, and can do no wrong and sit down in the captain's chair, Will, you know. So I think in that episode <laughs> it's great in in displaying like we're like we're talking about, the instances where the crew Is put to the test and and they don't have all the, in this regard, they don't have all the comfort of their family where they're like, oh, we're really a family. Yes, we're serving together. And yes, we have a chain of command. But, you know, I know Picard's got my back or I know the captain would act this way with Jellico. It's a blank slate and they really have to react to. You know well, what does he mean when he says this? what is he you know oh he's putting me in a uniform, oh he's taking away Livingston? It's like everything's changing,
1: <laughs> you know, so which I think, is why we never saw him again, yeah, we never saw him again.
0: <laughs> you know it, I think Daniel, to go back to your point, and I'm thinking about it because, and again i'm not, not trying to get too deep here, but especially when you look at enterprise, and again, not that we're comparing to everything we are, but yeah. You know, where, where are we at our most vulnerable or, or you know, where the, the truth hits the, the, the road or whatever the saying is. Um, you know, the river hits the road. You know, when we're most exposed, you know, do we, are we really who we say we are or who are we? So the Borg, perfect example. I think Best of Both Worlds is great. You know, we're at the brink of, of destruction. How are we going to go out? Another example would be um, I, Borg, okay? Again, we're faced with this mortal enemy who could destroy our way of life, you know? And does that mean that we throw the rules out the window and just say, look, we need to preserve the way we are, and we can't, we can't have these rules and regulations. And so when you have Captain Picard, who's faced with, do I use the virus, and I'm doing it off the top of my head, I'm probably using the wrong terminology. Do I use that virus to, to destroy the board? I mean, basically is commit genocide? genocide.
2: You know, it's like us yeah. or them, are we really, is it really that black and white? Because then you have Mcheyev chewing him out
0: and... Descent? Where, where, I forget what, where she chews him out later and says, look, if you ever have that opportunity, you take it because you blew it last time. And so, oh, you know, some, some would say, you know, well, of course, Picard should take out the Borg. They're a mortal threat. I don't care if they're cute and we name them. You know, it's like naming your, uh, you know, your chicken before you kill it and fry it, right? Um, like, Data, don't give it a name. Oh, Data,
2: you gave it a name. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Exactly. No, but
1: that, that is so brilliant, uh, Philip, because you're absolutely right. And, and I'm not even going to just pick out Cisco here. I'm going to say Picard is the only captain I think that would have done that. I think he's the only one that would have realized, I think Kirk definitely would have. I definitely think Cisco, obviously Cisco would have. I think Janeway and even Archer would, we, we see all of these captains get to a, a similar point in their careers where they have to make this heavy decision. And a lot of them choose otherwise They they decide that, Hey, you know, there's a lot of parallels anyways, between the captains. And I do think that, Picard himself is a very direct reflection of TNG's philosophy. Like I think he is the ultimate this is the next generation uh idea wrapped in a man. And you know what I mean? And 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 while he is flawed, he is very much larger than life and we had we had a whole you should guys the listeners should go back and listen to our Picard episode because we we've talked about this, but you know we we get to make it so <laughs> we get to we get this man who is who, he Like you said, in I, Borg, I mean, there is no person in the universe that has suffered more from the Borg than Picard has. And he still over, overcomes that prejudice and that bigotry and that racism. And, and he says, no, we're not doing this. This is, this is not what we do. This is not what humanity does anymore. And I think that that's why I love TNG. And I think that's just the most brilliant, brilliant, brilliant example. And good job, Philip.
0: <laughs> well, thank, and, and i think there's i mean i think there's a lot more to say about the issues of war you know the again the complaint is you know we didn't see war per se i mean we saw conflict um in next generation we had the cardassian war which is kind of off screen apparently <laughs> during the first four to five seasons um and you know the romulans and next thing you know we were at war in, though not really as compared to the dominion war in deep space nine and we can never argue about what you know the, the ghost of Gene may not may have not wanted war in in as a storyline, but anyway, um, I, I kind of want to pivot. Um, even though I'm sure we could talk about war for for a whole other podcast, um, Ooh, what and just is talk about some other <laughs> not in <the> next <laughs> Matt, Matt Russian already beat you to that <laughs> reference. So, <laughs> um, I just want to talk about two quick moments, and I'm kind of opening it up to any other kind of moments that you think we need to be mentioned about. You know, some, a moment or an episode, or a, or someone who really displays what it means about the philosophy of next generation uh two quick ones darren already (laughs) mentioned it but i'm just gonna repeat it again because he stole it because it was so good um first duty so you have picard making that speech which darren already gave but i just kind of want to say that sentence one more time about what picard says is that the first duty of a starfleet officer is to the truth and again you know not to get very you know uh, <laughs> Pontius Pilate and the Gospels and whatever, you know, what is truth? Is, you know, But anyway, what Picard defines it. Okay, well, what's truth? He says, whether it's a scientific truth, a historical truth, or personal truth, he says, that is the guiding principle upon which Starfleet is based, which is crazy. I mean, in a good way to me. I mean, that's really, the, you know, we think about our armed forces and you know which is about you know fighting and defend you know fighting and winning the nation's wars Like mean, that's it that's what we do in the, in the united states armed forces but that starfleet is is about truth it's about scientific truth it's about historical truth it's about personal truth whatever that means and that's really that's what starfleet is i mean that's i, I don't know if you all would agree that's what we see on screen but that's Crazy that it basically says, like, you know, we don't care. We may be proved wrong in what we do, but we're out to find the truth. And sometimes we may not like the truth, but... We'll just have to accept it as we do our missions about whether it's science whether it's about history whether it's about who we are as humanity and i mean to me like you know if i ever got another tattoo because i already have one of the the federation of planets logo that would be that phrase that that, of what picard says because i think it's so crazy powerful in those however many words that is 20 words or something or less like that's crazy you could you could do a whole like a whole teach a whole year on that phrase alone
1: um the the yeah i mean exactly and Honestly, the the way when when we were bringing up this point, I I did want to bring up the, and this might be a little unfair, but the um, encounter at Farpoint slash All Good Things trial, which um, you know, All Good er, uh, Encounter doesn't do many things right, but that trial is brilliant, Uh, and it really sets the tone for the rest of the show, and 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 then of course in All Good Things is wrapped up completely perfectly and uh go ahead go ahead
0: (laughs) no no, i mean i I don't want to steal your (laughs) thunder but exactly i love what you're saying because this is the the capstone of next generation that you know picard says i hope i never find myself here and he's like you just don't get it do you the trial never ends we never reached it and that's it that the trial of humanity are we a dangerous savage child race or are we something more The trial never ends. And again, I I hate to be so lofty and, you know, hippy drippy here on on this episode. But I mean, that's that's to me, that's the next generation. Who are we as 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 humanity? And and we're still discovering each and every day. So again, (laughs) but Darren, what are some episodes or moments to you that kind of display
2: things? Um, Yeah, I think the you know, some we've mentioned before the you know, with uh, the drum head and that amazing speech speech by Picard, obviously uh you can't get through a philosophy uh discussion without talking about measure of a man uh pretty much can't get through a podcast without talking about measure of a man in some <laughs> regard but you know you have this great moral play on you know what is life what is you know humanity and you know that also comes into play with uh, the offspring when data creates uh, LAL and you know does how much power does the state have you know you get all these great you know again ph- uh, bits of philosophy thrown in and I think maybe that's one of the you know to, to my point earlier about the captain setting the tone I mean Picard is much more of a philosopher than any other captain uh, I mean he reads he has all so many pads all with different <laughs> books on them you know to 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 read through and I think you know, it's just it's just such a encapsulating aspect of his character, and really sets the tone for the series. As he, you know, in many times will choose uh, to to stick with the truth and stick with his orders. Um, you know, there's very rarely where he'll throw his orders out the window, uh, except for movie Picard. But you know, that's another story. <laughs> but um, but like the episode where he's dealing with the Shellyak. You know, he he doesn't fight them. He doesn't say on the flagship, I'm I have 42 freaking decks. This thing is a beast. I'm going to take you out. It's like, no, he's like, I'm going to find that sub paragraph that gives me, you know, my in and, and he uses it flawlessly. So, you know, yeah.
0: And dust the uh, dedication plaque while he's at it.
2: Exactly. You're talking about quotes and, <laughs> and I'm wondering if maybe there's a little hidden extra bit on that dedication plaque. We, you know, with, all of Picard's... Uh, that's where he pulls all of his speechisms from.
0: Well, and I want to give Daniel one more chance because I feel like I cut him off with the trial there. Um, but one thing I do want to do because y'all... We never cut off Daniel. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> hey, what? No, one uh, thing I do... Oh, God, one, no, God. one last moment. <laughs> <laughs> is that... Because uh, y'all beat me up about it constantly. Insurrection. Come on. That speech in Star Trek Insurrection. How many people does it take, Admiral? Hmm? Before it becomes wrong.
2: Oh, yeah. A hundred? a thousand five
0: hundred a thousand a million how many people does it take admiral because i think oh that was my moment in instruction like yes Picard's speech for the way you know (laughs) because and again you can you can argue about the episode or the movie or whatever but i'm like again the moral question i mean i love that like forcing it what are we talking about what's what's going on what are we looking inside ourselves it's not just firing phasers and photon torpedoes and who can we shoot and what Ship is better. It's who we are. What's going on, and what's the truth? So, Daniel, like, you know, anything else you want to say as far as episodes or moments? Uh, I'm sure you want to bring up something from Nemesis.
1: No, 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 no. I, <laughs> I, but I will. I will concede that that the moment that you mentioned from Insurrection is it's definitely the best part of the film. I think. Um, you know, Picard, he, he's the best at these like kind of self-righteous sanctimonious speeches but but he's always right so i mean you, you you and you can see that why people might like be frustrated or irritated or whatever but or maybe turned off by it but it's like we love it we tngers love it because we know he as a as a character even though he's larger than life he is the ideal he's the tng ideal of of he he is like he's 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 more reflective of the of the quote unquote Roddenberry vision than Kirk ever was, not that Kirk not that there's anything wrong with Kirk. It's just he lives in a different world. But, the anyways, the reason I brought up the whole uh, encounter trial slash All Good Things trial is because I think that that completely is representative representative of uh, of TNG as a whole, and uh, it's it's a it's a brilliant little piece that they brought into the first episode and i loved how they finished it out and it's just like yeah humanity has this past and humanity has these issues but ultimately we are better than that we are better than the sum of our parts so
0: all right thanks daniel for the last topic here and i know we're kind of going here um how realistic is this vision you we've talked about the roddenberry vision or or the, the optimistic vision and the philosophy but like how realistic is it you know both Darren and Daniel have talked about the fact that you know here in the 21st century most of what we see in sci-fi is dystopian you know whether it's zombies um, or whether it's you know aliens invading or whether it's, it's all that you know bad future apocalyptic you know whatever giant monsters fighting with giant robots you know which is cool I'm, I'm not going to say it's not cool but all these visions we get that's very you know negative and Star Trek what, whether it represented that 60s, you know, revolutionary counterculture spirit that continued into the 80s um, optimism. You know, but is it realistic? And, and I'm going to give a, a quick, quick uh, blurb here and let you all talk. Um, you know, one thing that I was kind of looking forward to in, in Enterprise was, okay, how do we get from, you know, World War Three? what we saw in Counter at Firepoint, right? Uh, what we saw the afterwards in World War Three? you know, no governments, you know, first contact too. you know, no governments, no resistance. You know to what we see in tos and, and beyond and so enterprise you had this prequel experience but like it, it, it must have like it was it was like this 50 year like magic period of like you know between first contact and like you know enterprise like oh, we fixed everything i'm like how'd you fix everything it's like only been like 50 years i thought it was going to take a little bit longer than this um you know because if you look at that time period everything kind of magically fixes itself pretty fast there but you know it, it, I would say that, though, for people who are like, oh, no, the future's never going to be that perfect. People are always going to be terrible. You know, Babylon 5 and and Battlestar Galactica, that's how people are going to be. We're not going to change that much. But, like, the the way Star Trek would explain it is, in my opinion, you can say I'm wrong, is that it took a world war, (laughs) like the nuclear decimation, just basically start from zero. And that's how we rebuilt ourselves. You know, first contact and the whole speech in Star Trek, first contact about, about how we all came together. But, like, that's what it took in Star Trek. According to Star Trek, that's how we all got to, to a unified utopia is that we just destroyed everything and started all over from zero. Well, here in 2013, I certainly hope that doesn't happen in real life. <laughs> you know, I hope we don't have billions of people dying. We have to start from zero. I somehow hope we can, you know, go from where we are now. So, but let me open it up. Daniel, you know, that 24th century vision, is that is that something that you think can happen in by the, the real 24th century? Or or do you think it might take a little bit longer than that until that 29th century when we get the uh, mobile Holographic emitter.
1: Wow uh, that that is a tough question. Um, undoubtedly, I, I I fall on the side of yes. I this is what I want. This is what I think will happen. I actually, without getting too far into it, um, I do think as a species we're probably heading towards one of two uh, possibilities where uh, World War Three is actually one of the possibilities and continued existence is the other um so you know i hope it's not going to take that world war for us to learn our lessons because uh, it's tough to see a a scenario in which anybody comes out of that okay um but you know you you do mention that that there is a 50 year span of time between what we know would happen in world war three and and first contact or or beyond how we fix everything. And, uh, I, I do think that maybe, and I hope it's not true. I don't want it to be true. Um, I don't know. I am optimistic. It's hard for me to say because I, you know, we're, we're talking about optimism in star Trek. And I think a lot of the reason that I'm optimistic about the future is because of star Trek. So it's hard for me to say if I'm optimistic of the future without it, it's, it's kind of circular. So I, I hope that we can achieve it. Um, I think that things are getting better uh, despite a lot of people's views of looking at the world and I think that things will continue to get better and I think as long as people try to make things better and as long as you know we're heading in the direction we're heading, I actually think we're going to be okay. I think it's definitely possible. I'm going to say that, yeah.
0: Alright, thumbs up from Daniel. <laughs> what about you, Darren? Is this, is this vision r- realistic or is it just a crazy former World War II pilot's crazy imagination?
2: No, I, I'd like to think it's uh, it's possible. I, I do think that you know, to get to the to the half question there of what could have caused that shift. I think, yeah, I think that World War Three is probably the the largest factor. Not not necessarily for the reasoning of how many people died, but more because of I think one of the largest factors. And if you look at it on a macro level of society one of the largest factors in the continuation of suffering and of hate and of things like that is it being passed on from generation to generation. And, and you, you have generations that are taught, Oh, well we don't associate with these kinds of people or we don't like this group. And if you have this world war, the, the, it, That's the way I kind of see it going down is, okay, you wipe out two thirds of the population and literally everyone who's left is just like, forget it. There's not enough time to, to fight over these things, but also there's no one to teach the next generation on who to hate because they're all gone. You know, they've been fighting. So again, that's just, you know, that, that makes a lot of sense to me. Like that, it could be something along those lines that causes this change or at least kicks it forward into something that could happen in 50 years instead of you know several several generations but uh but yeah i think i have the same kind of circular logic as daniel is as man as a fallen being that you know the whole the hardest part to get by is the whole you know you're basically asking humanity to change human nature which is very very difficult to do but I think that doesn't preclude us to imagining and believing and trying to change. I think once you stop trying to change humanity to something better, to a vision like that, then you've kind of missed the point and you're, and you're now you're definitely heading down that fork in the road where we're going to hit, you know, a dystopian society. So that's, that's the way I look at it. And I believe, you know, that, yeah, Since Star Trek has inspired me to to look towards that future, that that is our future. It can be our future. We can use technology. We can overcome these, you know, what will seem like petty things, you know, in the future, and hopefully we'll be wise enough to pass on better knowledge to our children.
0: It reminds me, and I don't know why we... I can only find not the best quality episodes to prove our points, but it reminds me of, and I'm blanking on the name, the second Q episode um, with Riker, um, where Picard is quoting Hamlet to Q where, and I can't, that's not off the top of my head. I'm not going to try, but where, where Hamlet is ta- basically being sarcastic about humanity. Oh yeah. Look at man. What a piece of work is. man uh, is. Exactly. Yeah. But where Picard says, look, we're, Hamlet is being sarcastic. I'm being truthful, and Q is like, "Are you re- are you kidding? That's really what you think humanity is? You must be ridiculous." Pride says, "Well, no, but I think that's what we can be and what we will be." And you know, again, not to be cheesy, but it, but the the quote I think, and I'm probably going to mess it up. The quote from Martin Luther King is that the the moral arc of history bends towards justice, and that you know that's where we're. At least hoping that's where we can go, and you know it may take us a while to get there. Whether you know, in whatever category you want to talk about, um, but that's kind of where we're going. So I agree with all three of, or all two of you, that we have drunk the synth the Kool Aid when it comes to Star Trek. Can't use that title; and we that, already uh, used it. <laughs> <laughs> we copyrighted it ourselves. Anyway. But it's it's been interesting talking about the the vision and the philosophy of the next generation today. But this is just one of the many topics we've been talking about on Trek.FM this week. Here's a quick look at what else you may have missed on the network. Previously on Trek.FM, Standard Orbit.
1: The unmade
2: Starfleet Academy movie. You know, even even on paper. Okay, do we want to do the the script... Which was written by the guy who wrote Star Trek 5, or do we want to do the script, which was written by the guy who wrote Star Trek 2? Earl Grey. The ships of TNG. Oh no, it's one ship that splits into three parts, just like the D is one ship that splits into two parts. It's not a Voltron, it's, it's one ship. <laughs> <laughs>
0: and Al formed the saucer. The orb.
1: Dr. Bashir, sure, I presume commentary. commentary. I know the, it's just a hostile. Awesome. The look on Sisko's <laughs> face the whole time, he's just looking at Zimmerman like, alright, y- you're
2: a you're a piece of work, aren't you? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> to the journey! Sisko. And obviously Seska couldn't let go. No. And she proved that by having his child against his will.
1: Yeah. Now here is the Mori Show twist of the future. <sighs> He does not impregnate her. She impregnates herself with his DNA, or so she thought. But he is not the father.
0: The ready room.
1: Thank you. But it's also really gloomy, and it's. Sad. I never want to go back there. I don't want to like re-experience that. Like just the visual, uh, candy of being able to go outside and and talk to the Vorda and. Wow, I maybe didn't phrase that properly. I meant, I meant the change in color and lighting. Oh, I did not mean, but she's a very I attractive. I thought you were Florida. talking about Kiwana. She is fetching. <laughs> no? she's, a, she's a fetching lass. Warp 5. Zindi
2: evolution. evolution. Well, I think maybe Okapa and Insectoid are two races that could have a life together. You know, you've got the nine-year lifespan of the Okapa. You've got the 12-year lifespan of an Insectoid. If they meet at the right time, it could be, could be a beautiful love story. Commentary Trek Stars.
0: Iris Steven Bear's Star Trek. And it's the first time I heard him say something that he said several times over the years is, you know, one day, one day when we're not the middle child, we're not the stepchild, people are going to go, holy crap, look at DS9. Literary Treks.
2: Slings and Arrows, a Sea of Bubbles. You you see in this book, too, that Picard is facing this melancholy because they've been worried about the Borg, and now the Dominion is on the horizon. And there's these two things, and obviously this is before first contact, so that hasn't happened yet. And Picard seems to be kind of weighed down in this story in some ways. And that's what else is happening on Trek.fm.
0: Check out these shows and get in on the daily Trek Talk. You'll find them on iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn, Windows Phone, Xbox, Zoom, or you can stream and download files from the website. Just visit Trek.fm/PD for podcast directory to get all the links. Now, if you'd like to share your thoughts on today's Earl Grey, if you agree or disagree with what we said here, just go to Trek.fm/contact, And there's a form there. You can choose to send a show option and choose Earl Grey, and that message will come to all three of us by email. You can also use the tab on the right-hand side of any page to send us a voicemail using your webcam's microphone, and we'd love for you to be the first voicemail we receive in 2014. You can talk to us and other listeners in our forums at trek.fm slash forums, and in social media, you'll find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash trek.fm, and on Twitter under username trek.fm. And also, while you're making those New Year's resolutions, why not make one of those resolutions to leave us an iTunes review? That'd be a great way to start off the 2014 by leaving an iTunes review that will help other listeners find our show and help ensure Earl Gray a prosperous 2014. So Daniel, if the listeners want to wish you a happy 2014, where can they find you on the interwebs?
1: They can find me uh, on Twitter. It's the easiest way to do it. It would be uh, at one up Dan. That is the number one, not the word.
0: And Darren, if the listeners want to thank you for all we, you've done here editing Earl Gray in 2013, where can listeners find you on the interwebs?
2: Well, in 2013, you could find me at uh, Doctor sci-fi, but in 2014, you'll find me at Doctor SciFi. That's D-R-S-C-I-F-I. <laughs> Still Doctor DrSciFi, uh, not changing for the new year, but I do have some other resolutions. Uh, but you can also join me on my website, which is DrSciFi.com.
0: And you can find me and tell me whether or not I I talk too much about the wonderful world of philosophy um, on the Internet, on Twitter, at NC Public Servant. That's NC like North Carolina. And before we close out our last show of 2013, we'd like to ask you to please support our sponsor, who makes it possible for us to bring Earl Grey and other shows to you each week. Audible.com is a great way for you to read all the books you've always wanted to read but never thought you'd have the time for. I mean, Audible is the premier source for audiobooks with more than 150,000 titles to choose from and new titles coming every week. From classics to current bestsellers, Audible has something for everyone. There are many next generation books available on Audible, including two books which I have both read and would be excited to actually listen to being read. One is The Devil's Heart, read by Gates McFadden, Dr. Beverly herself. And Q-in-law, read by both John DeLancey and Majel Barrett, because Q-in-law walks on a story very good. Um, As a Trek.fm listener, you can get a free audiobook of your choice along with a 30-day trial to see just how great Audible is. So give it a try today and catch up on all those classic books you've yet to read or that latest novel from your favorite author as well. Just go to audibletrial.com slash Trek.fm and sign up today. Again, that's audibletrial.com slash trek.fm, and we thank you and Audible for supporting Earl Grey and trek.fm. Also, you can help us continue to bring Earl Grey to you in 2014 each week by getting your alien badges and art prints featuring original illustrations by Toba Ushi. You'll find them at trek.fm donate, and your support helps us pay for the cost of production, hosting, and bandwidth that's needed to bring the show to you each week. So thanks, everyone, for listening. I'm off to ignore my family for the holidays and instead watch some great Next Generation episodes. So on behalf of Daniel and Darren, we here at Earl Grey wish you a Merry Trexmas and a Happy New Year. Make it
1: so. Engage. Live long and prosper. Fire.